Hello, 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 and welcome back to yet another episode of Absolutely Nobody's Favorite Podcast, Annoying Question Boy. Yay! Um, So if this is your first time tuning in, uh, thanks for checking me out. I'm your host, Josh. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy the show. Um, First and foremost, if you hear that uh, humming uh, in the background, that is my car. Um, I have to record these podcasts while I'm driving now because I work seven days a week. So if that is a pain in the ass and you don't want to listen to my car in the background, uh, I apologize. Um, But if you can work through that uh, minor inconvenience, I would appreciate it Um, because I think I got a a doozy for us today. Um, So I've been trying to record podcasts, right? And like every time I do, not for nothing, I get halfway through and I, like, lose all of my energy, right? That has a lot to do with kind of, like, my meds, and I'm going in and out of new meds right now, so my attention span is really bad. But not for nothing, it also has to do with the fact that, like, I've been incredibly depressed lately. Um, Something that is certainly adding to that is you know, the pandemic and everything going on. But I think more than anything, many of us have felt depressed uh, this way even before we were in social isolation, or I guess for some of us into forced um, social isolation, because I know some of us who like to, you know, not hang out with people. I definitely feel that. Um, But uh, yeah, so like, A lot of us have felt this depression for a long time, far before the pandemic. And I think there's a lot of things which we can point to and say are, like, reasons why. I mean, you know, you got climate crisis, which is right on the precipice. You got awful living standards for the majority of people all over the world. Um, You got, again, COVID. Um, But more than that, you've kind of, if you've, you know, I'm 21 years old. So if you've lived probably more than at least 18 years, and I guess, I guess that's not really true. If you've paid attention to the last 20 years, I guess it doesn't really matter how old you are. But if you've paid attention enough to understand what's been happening over the last 20 or so years, you know, we've really watched capitalism just fail, 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 fail. And like everything about our society which we've been told our whole life, especially this understanding of what we would call the American dream, um, but more so a modern American dream, which is like, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, you go to college, you get a degree, walk out of college, there will be a job waiting for you, you support yourself, you have a decent life. Like, this message which has been given to us since the day we entered any kind of formal schooling um, has really not lived up to the hype, I guess you could say. And, I mean, a lot of people might argue with me that capitalism, you know, offers a lot of opportunities, does, uh, pulls people out of poverty, it, uh, improves living standards. A lot of these things are true, but they're not true necessarily. And they're also not true necessarily because of, um, capitalism today. So when it comes to things like living standards, we can say that maybe in the advanced countries, capitalism has propelled us forward. But then if you look at places in the global south, which are building the technologies and, you know, the things which are improving 
our living standards here in America or in the UK or other, you know, advanced societies, like I said, then this is not the case. And so it's not necessarily that capitalism has improved those living standards. It's the benefits from capitalism in those advanced states which have improved living standards. Um, sure, you can trace that back to capitalism, but is that really like a, a, a one-in-one ratio that you're willing to deal with? You know, we here in America get to live in nicer houses and, you know, maybe get to enjoy a few more quote-unquote freedoms than other countries, but in exchange we enslave the entire global south in a constant state of poverty and dependence. It, like, this is, this is the system we want to support? Okay. Another reason why people would argue that capitalism is, you know, in fact not failing, uh, maybe it's been corrupted, or maybe this is what some people call crony capitalism, which we are experiencing today, but all in all, capitalism itself actually is a good thing. It actually creates opportunities for people, and it, re- it pulls them out of poverty. So let's talk about this. One you know, great example of looking at this is, I would argue, China. You know, If you look at China's history since the Cultural Revolution, since the introduction of Maoism, before it was even you know, understood to be Maoism, um, this is true. You know, China just announced this year that they have officially pulled one billion people out of extreme poverty, um, I believe is the words that they use. Um, that wholeheartedly is because of the you know industrialization and the opportunities which their use of the capitalist mode of production um, has allowed them. However, I would argue, and this might put me in not so great terms with some people, but not for nothing, it could just be a mistaken analysis or your analysis could be incorrect. What do we know, you know? I would argue that China is not quote-unquote capitalist. Um, Because what capitalism is, of course, is when private corporations own the means of production. And although this is, you know, partially the case in China because of their involvement with the World Trade Organizations and, you know, all the other imperial imperialist bloc powers uh, through their use of the capitalist mode of production, this, you know, this may be true that private companies do own a portion of the means of production. Um, I would argue, though, that this, I mean, I might not have a round enough understanding of economics to really be giving my take on this, but from my understanding, which again, we're preempting this as I can be just as wrong as anyone else can be wrong, um, I would argue that this, hmm, I just really don't want to get myself exposed here, but whatever, we'll just say what's on my mind. So I would argue that this form of capitalism is not truly capitalism, nor is it truly socialist, but we also have to remember if we are to keep a dialectical approach that there can be this truth, this, these contradictions can be true, that China can be both socialist and capitalist at the same time because it's in a, you know, a progressive stage. However, I would argue if, if China remains in this period 
of progressive stage and does not take the next step towards communism, then we need to reassess that analysis. But I would argue that right now in the actions which China has taken, they have remained socialist. So the use of capitalism as we would understand it in America did bring the Chinese people out of poverty. But the difference is, I would argue, that it was not a capitalist mode of appropriation. In China, it's state-ordained industry. It's, it's state-controlled. And although state you know, control is not a solution to the antagonisms which capitalism present, it is, again, a progressive stage towards the erasure of these antagonisms, towards the erasure of capitalism in and of itself. So I think that really we have to understand China as we understand anything which is a actively evolving state. But I would argue that it's not capitalist because these private entities are not the sole earners and uh, consumers of the appropriated goods. You know, when things are produced and sold in China for a good portion of them, the state therein takes those funds and in one way or another, again, I don't have a whole scope on China's uh, economic practices, but they take that money and they intend to, at least you know, in some of the actions which I've been directly able to observe, um, they take that, those funds and they provide it to the people of China, you know, the peasants. Um, and the impoverished people who are suffering under a state of poverty, which was caused by China's, you know, influx into capitalism. You know, I was having a conversation with someone today. I'm not going to name any names, but I was having a conversation with someone today who told me that they want me to, you know, read this paper about uh, China's long march back to capitalism. There was no march away from capitalism. There was no no possible march away from capitalism because if we want to implement socialism, we have to implement socialism after we have produced the things by which that society requires. Now, again, this might get me canceled, but we have to understand these things realistically. We have to look at the material conditions that exist. Could China have successfully become the state that it is today and have raised these billion people out of poverty if it was not for the massive industrialization that now has them at the, the you know this the highest point of GDP coming up in 2021 and I know to I, I guess this to some extent seems kind of bourgeois in the idealism and like oh using capitalism for good and everything but we also have to understand realistically that no state can just stop being capitalist because you know they don't like capitalism or because they're against capitalism um because in you know the case of china you had a billion people who were living in abject poverty who could not provide the very necessities for their survival that was china's population and now should the goal of the Chinese revolution have been to just simply remove themselves from the capitalist sphere and try to figure out how to provide for these people on their own? No. 
We saw exactly how that failed in Russia with the bureaucratic, you know, um, necessity of, of Stalinism. Um, that's not arguing for the validity of Stalinism. That's just saying if we're to talk strictly materialistically um, and to remain wholly uh, dialectically materialist, then we have to understand these things in their reality. And the truth of the matter is, the billion people in China would still be living, if they were still even alive, in extreme poverty in 2020, if not it was, if not for this massive industrialization. So this is kind of where my topic really begins. So something that I want to talk about is this inclination on all spheres of political interest towards opinionated beliefs. So, for example, you know, so-and-so says, I don't support capitalism. Therefore, anything that I perceive as capitalist, I will oppose. Now, as, you know, um, honorable of a belief as that might be to hold fast to your, you know, um, convictions, that's idealism. You know, there is not going to be a perfect society that is just going to spring out from capitalism. Capitalism has existed for this long. It's not like it's just going to, you know, get better. So we have to understand that we have to try to use capitalism for the betterment of society. You know, and even though to some that might sound like a disgusting and immoral phrase, I certainly am not a fan of it. Um, I also am well aware that we do not live in this perfect utopia which we can, you know, carve and mold to our liking. So that's kind of really the topic I wanted to dive into is this, you know, inclination towards this, this understanding of politics. So let's talk about what it is that I'm really discussing. Um, one of the things that you hear very often in America is this phrase you know, it's my right. Whether you're talking about guns or abortion or not wearing a mask in a store, this phrase might show up, right? So what is that? What is a right? You know, can we, can we, can we really say that here in America, what we conceive as a right and what materially exists as a right are the same thing? I would argue that we can't, you know. In America, we're told that we have inalienable rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Are any of you guys, you know, fully capable of pursuing these things? Are you guys all, you know, do you, do you really truly believe that there is wholeheartedly freedom of speech, freedom of press, freedom of assembly here in America? Do you really believe that we all have these rights? Or is it that we have these rights under the law, but that law is only and conveniently extended to those whom, you know, whomsoever it chooses. You know, when you look at, um, I remember reading a story a while back that a mother was arrested and faced uh, federal prison time because she lied on her child's, uh, you know, school form to say that he, they actually lived in another district so that he could go to a better school, right? That woman was arrested, 
uh, because the school reported her. Um, and I believe that I read an article recently that she didn't end up going to prison, or at least it, the article wasn't uh, concise in saying whether she did or didn't go to prison. Um, but now let's take that example and compare it to the example, which we all probably remember, uh, of that Full House actor um, lying and getting her daughter and her daughter's friends into school by saying that they were a part of a sports team, which they were not a part of. And let's, you know, I I think that to some people they might say, well, this isn't a good example because, well, she's also, she actually is serving prison time. Yeah, but look at the difference in situations. That was like a, a celebrity case. And she probably made billions of dollars off of all the news articles which were run about her probably made so much money off of the press that she got and by the time she got out well guess what she's going to be a billionaire just like she was a billionaire when she went into prison whereas this woman was lying uh the the other woman who lied to to get her child into a different school um this woman was lying simply because the school that her son was going to go to was not providing him with the education that he needed um i believe also to some extent they weren't willing to provide free meals. I think there was some part of that that I read, although I can't, you know, say whether or not that's the case because I don't know the case well enough. So I might be wrong on that second part. But she is doing that because she does not have the the material um, means to provide that education for her child, you know? That full house lady wholly does. You know, if her daughter doesn't get into that school... She's got all the money in the world to send her to whatever college she wants, you know? So that we have to understand these material conditions and these realities that exist in order to really analyze these things. So in, in, that, in the spirit of that, can we truly say that there, we all have the same rights in America? Or can we all, you know, grow up and realize that there is not equality under the law? There is equality in the law, but not everybody is represented by that law. And I think that that is a a misconception which we are led to believe, um, which we really need to combat. Um, So yeah, so then what what is a right then? Can, Can you say if then this right which is supposed to be provided due to the quality the equality and the just laws within a given society can you truly have rights if that's not the case no you can't and that's because these things that we talk about these rights are these created ideas which we have you know completely ignored reality and said you know all human beings are endowed with these rights okay look at the majority of the world. Does the majority of the world enjoy these supposedly inalienable rights? No. Okay, well then it's probably not true that all human beings are endowed with these rights. You know, if we're speaking in a way which is, you know, philosophical and we're trying to say, oh, this is what should be, that's one thing, and we can have a different discussion about this. But in America, these ideas are proposed as if they are, not as if they should be. You know, we're the land of the free, apparently, with the largest prison population in the world. Um, by, you know, relation to population. So, 
now to, you know, jump back to this tendency for us to uh, lean towards things or political ideologies, I guess, specifically, which we agree with and why that's a problem. So first and foremost in America, because of these supposed rights that we have, we also have this belief that just because something is our opinion, it is equally as valuable as anyone else's opinion, whether that opinion is uh, true or not doesn't matter. Um, you know, if my opinion is that all black people uh, should go back to being enslaved, uh, there is uh, a, certainly a camp within this country which would de- defend my right to say so. Um, I would like to clarify to anyone who wants to record that, uh, that was me speaking satirically. Uh, just figured I'd say that just in case, you know. Um, but yeah, so like, in the, in the world which is created where we believe that, you know, all of our opinions are equal in value and in truth simply because they're our, our opinions, that stems a lot from this individualistic mentality which exists in America. Um, I plan on writing a, a short book slash booklet about this uh, titled The Cancer of Individualism, um, and I plan on doing a few blogs and podcasts about it. But it really stems from, first and foremost, the Protestant Reformation, which really took the, the communal version of church which existed uh, in Catholicism and really, to some extent, twisted it and made it a personal connection with God. But more than that, it was a, a, that personal relationship to God which deemed you as God's child. And it, in a lot of respects, uh, that, that gave a lot of people this understanding that they're in, you know, if, if they succeed in their massacre of the populations of the natives of a certain land and they're able to conquer the land, well, because they were able to do that, it was God's wish. You know what I mean? Because they're God's children and so, you know, one plus one equals two. Obviously, we can say that this isn't the case. You know, that's obviously operating wholly in uh, just a non-reality. It, and it's idealism. It's just making shit up, right? That's, that's, that's what that is. But it, it, that individualism definitely stems from the Protestant Reformation, but it also stems from the period of time in which this country was founded. You know, the late 18th century, early 19th century was a period of revolutions, and these revolutions were wholeheartedly centered around the ideals of the, the liberal thinkers like John Locke, Thomas Hobbes, um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, and, and the like, you know, who really proclaimed this, this essence of being uh, and this individualistic mentality uh, and outlook on the world. Um, then you, you know, you see that develop in other places in the world in people like uh, uh, Hegel, um, who eventually led to the ideas of Marx, funnily enough. Um, but Hegel himself was also an idealist. Um, and what this idealist belief really means is that, like, you believe that your mind, your ideas, or more than anything, the ideas and the minds of individuals are what shape and form the world. 
you know, the reason why we have public schools is because somebody conceived of the idea of public education and put forward the work in order to implement that. That's how the idealist might view something like that. Whereas the materialist might look at the material conditions which were in existence and understand the necessity for something like public education in the time which it was implemented. So then if you take that analysis and you put it towards the creation of this country, you understand that at that period of time, these individualistic ideas were actually like the, the, the ma- majority supported, um, I, I don't really know, the, it was the popular belief, I guess you would say, the popular understanding which most people subscribe to, especially those in power, because if you're to understand this individualistic, uh, liberal idealism, then you have to understand that this, this belief system wholeheartedly supports the right of the ruling class to go and take whatever they want for themselves, because I'm an individual, it's my right. So to wrap it all up in a pretty little bow, I think that the last thing that anyone should be doing is seeking out a political ideology which they agree with. What people should be doing is looking at historical data which proves the usefulness or uselessness or the benefits and the, you know, the the mishaps of certain political ideologies, compare them to their history and say, okay, is this something that provided the needs for the people? Because plain and simple, for me, that is what I believe is necessary. That there are people who are, you know, born and die on this planet who never eat a full meal, who never get to enjoy a day as a human being outside of their existence as a machine because of the mode of production which exists. So if your political belief is to, you know, figure out what you agree with or what you think will work, then you're practicing idealism and you're wasting your time. What we should do is look at what does work, what has worked, and what has worked, and what continues to work. And that is why I call myself a Marxist-Leninist, because I believe that Marxist thought, with also the rupture, but also continuation of Leninist thought, is precisely what has continued to succeed and has succeeded in the past. Um, I am on my way to educating myself about Mao and also, you know, Maoist thought. Um, But for the time being, I call myself a Marxist-Leninist because of this. Um, If you disagree with Marxist-Leninism, that is fine. However, if your disagreement is based in your personal ideals, beliefs, or values, then I don't want to hear it. Because again, you are practicing idealism. Just because this is something you cannot get behind does not mean that this is not something which actively is providing for or has in the past actively provided for the needs of millions of millions of people. Um, That is what I myself believe in and that is what I myself am going to work towards. Um, So if you're still listening, I appreciate you. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this, please look back at some of my other stuff. And if you also like this, but maybe are more inclined to read articles, uh, I also do a blog. Uh, It's uh, annoyingquestionboy.blogspot.com, spelled just like that. No caps, no spaces, nothing special. 
You can also find me on social media on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Annoying Question Boy. Um, and you can be on the lookout, hopefully in the new year, for my book, Liberation is Irresistible, which if you want to listen to uh, what that's about, I did an episode about it a while back. Uh, I can't remember what it's titled, but I'm sure you could probably figure it out by the title because I think I put in the in the definition that I like talk about my book. But yeah, so if you enjoyed this, please uh, give me a rating and a review because that helps me extend my reach. That helps me get views, and that's really what I'm working for. Uh, because you know, I feel that these are things that people deserve to know and people deserve to understand, and that can't happen if all of our media and education is wholly centered around blocking um, these ideas. So, yeah, um, I uh, I will see you next time, and uh, I hope you had a good time listening to this, and I hope you have a good day. Solidarity and love to you all. Bye.